Welcome to Vino Week, episode 43. Welcome. I'm Bill. Hello, I'm Al. Welcome, everyone, to Vino 101. Yeah, some more uh, some more uh, news and events from the world of wine, food, and beverage. <laughs> so, hey, uh, no one will know what we're laughing about here, but I just found that photo, so I'll send it to you okay. real quick. That's great. Uh, you want to start with uh, let's start with the big news uh, here in Sonoma County. Um, um, Mary Edwards, hey. one of the uh, just uh, like a stalwart in the wine business. She's been around since the, I mean, the early seventies. Mary Edwards has um, sold her winery. Yeah, and uh, she sold it to somebody. Um, what I particularly like about this story, this is um, in the Wine Spectator, this just happened this week, is she sold a winery to a um, a privately held family company. And uh, that's pretty cool because we've had a raft of uh, people that have been selling their properties, but they've been getting bought up by these big, huge wine conglomerates. So it's nice to see um, she, have, she definitely took her time and wanted to find someone, uh, find the right people. And it was uh, she sold the winery to uh, the House of Roterer. Sure, a lot of our listeners are familiar with Roterer Champagne, or if you watch the rap videos, they're familiar with Chris Dahl <laughs> and the Bridge. Sorry, that makes me laugh. <laughs> Gotta have but, my uh, Chris Roterer, one of the nice things about Rotor Estates is um, they do not, as I'm aware, I don't believe they have um, open tastings at any of their properties. So if you, um, they own Rotor Estates up in Anderson Valley. If you go there, uh, you have to make an appointment. You just can't drive up there. Um, they also own uh, uh, Swarfenberger Cellars. Um, they purchased that from. Um, um, uh, Louis Vuitton, Moy Hennessy back in early 2000. And they also have a Pinot Noir um, concern called Domaine Anderson. I haven't, I haven't had those wines, so look, I might be looking to try those. But uh, Mary Edwards has been around in the wine business for over 40 years. And uh, she started out in Mount Eaton Vineyards, one of my favorite places in Santa Cruz Mountains. And uh, she was one of the founding winemakers at Matanzas Creek which makes uh, some fantastic wines. Matanzas Creek is now owned by, um, just to show you how these places change hands all the time, Matanzas Creek is now owned by uh, uh, Jackson Family Wines. Yeah. Um, and she started out here in Sebastopol in the late 90s. And uh, it's a really cool little estate that she has. She's right next to that mushroom operation as you're yeah. going out towards. Yeah. So, uh, and she's got, I didn't realize she owns so much land. I mean, it's over. It's that, like, yeah, I didn't either. That was it's a lot of acreage. Yeah, and she's had what six estate, uh, six estate um, um, plots or ve- or vineyards, I should yeah, say. Yeah. Um, and then if you've been to Mary Edwards, if you've been to you've been to tasting at Mary Edwards, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, it's it's more like wine wine. It's like more like wine seminar class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's not. It's just don't don't freak. It's not overly serious. But they do want you to understand what they're trying to do. So they put a lot of emphasis on education. If you are, I, I yeah, it's um, um, one of the things in the article said that uh, Rotorer bought 
bought Mary Edwards, that was one of the reasons that that um, the CEO of Rotor said that they purchased it was because of of how Mary Edwards deals with its visitors. You know how they taste wine, um, and it sounds a lot through this article that they this is a good partnership or a good succession for Edwards Rotor. You know, Rotor isn't looking. What he he's, he um, um, he said something in the article. Uh, the CEO of Rotor, of like we, you know, we like to leave our wineries alone. Yeah, they do. Yeah, which is pretty uh, is pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's pretty loose the way she's going to be uh, used. She, uh, it seemed kind of nebulous in the article. She said, "Well, I'll stick around and help out for a year. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do." Maybe they'll want me as a brand ambassador, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think, you know, and I, I know this to be true, is that they are definitely one of those companies. They just, like, they buy a property and they nurture it with, uh, you know, uh, uh, money or whatever support they need. But they, they kind of stay out of the way. You know, it's like, uh, hey, man, we got something running. We don't need, and it's running well. There's no need to try to fix it. So having that mentality, it, it bodes well for all the people that work there. Um, and uh, for all the consumers that like these wines, because it's a pretty good chance that the type of wines that she makes, if you enjoy those types of wines, they're going to remain uh, consistent and, and in that style, which is, which is pretty right on. I think. Well, you know, they, she, so she had a, um, oh, you know, they brought on a winemaker to replace her last year. I mean, I shouldn't say replace her, but that was part of her secession plan. So she was already thinking about this, and that's mentioned in the article. And I think, um, and her name is Heidi uh, von der Meden, von der Med, Meden. But she was the winemaker at Arrowwood, I think. That's where she came from. Okay. Um, and then the, um, you know, the CEO of this company, the person that's running Rotorer, it's a, a Ruzad family. R O U Z A U D. Apologies for my pronunciation, but he's this. He is the. <laughs> thank you. He is the uh, seventh generation. Um, he took over from his grandma. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as a president of this, you know that brand, um, that house. It's better to say house. You know, like LVHM. Yep. House. Yep. Yeah. It's a big house. You know. And they. They just bought a big hotel. Uh, yeah. That's that was my, yeah, and the. So, and he said he's diversifying in the article. So this is, you know, this is interesting. This is going on here. It's nice to have these sort of, um, you know, it's nice that it hasn't been gobbled up by some massive conglomerate that's going to change it. It's one Agreed. of the things, you know. I, I agree wholeheartedly. So it's an interesting article. That's a great place to visit um, if you come out our way, as they say, um, it's not that far from, uh, I mean, if you're staying in San Francisco, you can get to Mary Edwards Winery. If you're just driving yourself, you can get, get there in less than an hour and a half. And that's, I'm, I'm counting in some of the horrific traffic you might encounter. Yeah. So, um, well, you could go have a lovely lunch in Grayton at either the uh, Wildwood or Underwood. Um, there are other restaurants there. And then go have a lovely tasting at Mary Edwards. And you're going to learn some stuff too. I No matter how... Uh, expert you might be they do a really even just in terms of their presentation is worth going to check out and there's a ton of other places right around i mean there's literally Linmar's around the corner <laughs> you know yeah yeah i yeah, mean there's a lot of you know there's a, 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 a yeah 
you know. You got uh, Maria Torres, you can get to pretty, pretty Miramar Torres, you can get to relatively quickly. Uh, just here in town, I mean, we've got uh, horse and plows uh, in town. Plus, down at the Barlow, there's all tons of there's, there's uh, packs. Yeah, you know, McPhail so, packs. So, I mean, if you're coming to Pinot Noir con- country, um, that would be a stop. I would, I would definitely make, and uh, yeah, you'd love it. Well, I, it's good to see, in some respect. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty happy for it, man. Yeah. You imagine toiling for like almost fifty years in a business, and then also like I mean just the just the idea of owning something. Even I think she kind of uh, she alludes to this in some in a few of her quotes. She says, "Well, basically, you know, when I started it, I just I just been working. I didn't really have like this plan. I just." Trying to keep it going. Exactly. (laughs) I'm trying to make some profit and eat and, like, you know, keep making wine. That's, you know, that was just my thing. Yeah, that's so awesome. It's very nice. It really is. So, um, free, uh, there's free wine. Um, (laughs) excuse me, not free wine. She's, uh, (laughs) wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) I say one thing if you go there, it's going to be almost impossible for you not to walk out of there. Without a few bottles of wine in hand, because their wines are really well made. Um, they're all, um, I'd say they skew towards the elegant side, and they're all, um, That's right word. Uh, they're, they're definitely all age worthy. Um, the whites uh, included, even her Sauvignon Blanc ages pretty well. Elegant and Rotorer, man, did they pay you to, to say those words? <laughs> it's, like, it's, like native, it's like a native ad. Let me hold there's up the no, bottle of Cristal no... now, please. There's no kickbacks. Although maybe we should consider looking into that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just joking. It was funny. (laughs) Um, Hey, they got they got some new stuff happening over in um, uh, Kentucky. Yeah. So tell me, tell me. So some some of this is related to the uh, Supreme Court case, which is the Tennessee Wine and Spirits Retailers Association versus Blair. And what this is all about is interstate transportation of um, alcohol and wine, spirits and wine. So, and in the internet age, you know, really, I should be able to go to a winery here in California or a winery anywhere else in the, in the United States. And if I like something, I should be able to purchase it there and have it shipped back to my house and vice versa, be able to order from, from my home and have it delivered. But Kentucky's typically been one of the states that they don't allow any shipment into or out of the state of wine that isn't made there. And this case was around what bourbon? Uh, initially, it started with bourbon, yeah, so that they could um, the bourbon producers there could ship their bourbon out right. to other areas, right. and then you know it was kind of an even exchange. But now they're trying to trying to um, uh, you know they're trying to they're they're giving a gentle hand to people that are in the wine industry. It, the minus with this is, I mean, it seems like a big deal. I mean, and it's going all through the courts, and it's going to likely end up in the Supreme Court, or it's already in the Supreme Court, yeah, and they're, that, they're that, kind of looking at it. Yeah. Um, the problem with this particular law that they're just looking at, um, th- this particular one in general is that it doesn't really do that much. All it does is it says, okay, if you're a winery outside of the state of Kentucky, you we're going to allow you to ship your product directly to a consumer. And, okay, that's sort of kind of a big deal, 
if you're uh that's a big deal if you're a small winery <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a big deal if you're a small winery but it doesn't help anybody else out yeah. uh what if you're uh i mean it doesn't help what any. constellation brand yeah <laughs> it doesn't help any. where's Most my slice because <laughs> they can't send anything <laughs> in um it doesn't yeah. help you know if you're a a, a producer in france and you want to ship some, that doesn't help you out because, you know, you can't, you're not here in the States. I mean, it's very, very narrow in its scope, but yeah. it is a start. Yeah. So, it's, you um, know, the, uh, what the horse's nose is in the barn, something like yeah, that. Yeah. It's only a matter yeah. of time before the barn door's wide open. Um, at least I think people are, are thinking about that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's easy to see why Kentucky's not, you know, a big, uh, wine market. It's not like people are trying to beat the doors and, you know, get their wine into Kentucky or get it into restaurants. So up to this point, it's almost been impossible to do. So it's not even worth the effort. But uh, they are moving. Uh, they're trying to move in in a positive direction. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's um. I mean, all these things are good that these laws are being looked at again, just in general. Um, you know, I just I look at it from I. One way to think about it is. Relaxing these things allow more people to produce, which allow more people to be hired. <laughs> and you get more, you know, it enables people who want to do something like Mary Edwards did, which is make something in a very elegant way, in a very specialized way to, to exist, because you open that market up. Mm-hmm. So it's good overall. It gets to, you know, people get to follow their passion and do what they like to do, and it employs other people. It's a good thing, I think. And, it is due to regulation that some of that, some of that market isn't as open as it might be. It just shows you how much money's involved, well, how yeah, much tax true. revenue is involved. <laughs> because yeah. you know if they're if if they're so reluctant and, and stubborn about changing these rules, you know it's all about who stands to benefit and who stands to lose. Because right. you're talking large amounts of money here. Yeah. So that's that's it's yeah. not really about the consumer. It's, about, it's true. It's about the state and the state getting its cash. That's yeah. true. That's true. Um, speaking of um, um, <laughs> outlawing cash, I mean, I'm chuckling, but the uh, you sent the article over on this um, brush fire in Australia, oh. which you know this this. A winemaker and owner basically watched his place burn down from his porch. It was a uh, thirty wow, thirty meter high um, fire. When where was New South Wales? And he was what days yeah, away from harvest. Yeah, it's New South Wales, which is um, south. Uh, it's in the southeast of the Australian continent, kind of. Um, not maybe like a. I don't know, a couple hundred miles from the coast, but it's inland quite a ways. So, what's interesting about this is, well, I guess our listeners should know that right now it's it's on, it's harvest time in the right. southern hemisphere. Right. So uh, this is the height of when stuff gets done. So right now is 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 their September and October. You know, the their end of end of the summer. So um, they were just five hours away from getting ready to pick uh, his grapes. Yeah. And he's sitting out on his porch looking at these this fire way off in the distance. He can see the glow. And they're thinking, all right, you know, we're just going to get our harvest off here in a little bit. And, you know, 
just in a matter of hours, God. you know, this fire approaches and, and just comes up and actually where they are, it's, um, they're at a certain level. I think they're like, a, I want to say, uh, it's a kind of a top. It's like a mountain. It's, it's called Topper's Mountain Vineyard. So they're kind of on up. They sit up on a plateau like a little hill. And um, it just rushed up the hill and wiped out his whole crop for the year. And, you know, I always say this, farming ain't easy. No. I mean, that's a horrible story. Yeah. Working all year long, tending the vines. I mean, from the – from. Uh, think of all the resources, the time and energy you put into getting those grapes right to the point where you're getting ready to harvest them that very day and then something like that happens. That's like unthinkable. That's like the worst luck ever. Yeah. So I, he's he's got he's got a lot of his vines were which is unusual. They were actually burned, and then the other ones that weren't burned, the grapes are you know there's a picture here. They're just like they're roasted and they're they're smoke tainted, so he can't use any of his crop. He lost his entire crop for the year. That's pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, I'm just looking. I'm giving big heavy sign looking at the pictures, and it's um. It, uh, I, he actually looks fairly composed. He does, yeah. Yeah, well, you, know, it, you know, well, the caption says this is like, you know, after, after he, uh, you know, after his, you know, vineyard was scorched. Um, one of the things I thought interesting in the article is they think the vines will be fine. He goes, if, you know, the vines will likely come back and produce. He goes, but the worst case scenario is that it's, um, they're gone be bad yeah it's it's similar to what we had you got uh you've got the dry the driest part of the year we've had this in snow we got the driest part of the year you get a fire that kicks up and then you just hey let's add some wind to that and then you know anything that's in the path of that that firestorm is but it's it's to me it's unusual i went and i looked at some pictures of the vineyard itself uh topographical view and it's it's interesting um it's a pretty good sized vineyard actually huh and um, that must have been one raging fire. To, he said the fire was going not down the rows, but across the rows. Just like, I mean, it was it was definitely a strong wind. Yeah. So, and wow. uh, that one picture you can see, there's hardly any leaves left on the vine. No, yeah, I mean, they're scorched. I mean, just, yeah, it's, you never like to see that. Yeah, so that's a, that's a, that's a horrible story, but uh um, I definitely, um, I, after hearing about it, I, I wanted to like buy some of the wines, but I don't think those wines are available over here. I looked around, I couldn't find any, huh. but he makes a bunch of different stuff. He actually makes a Nebbiolo too, which is really interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, a sad story. Let's move on to something a little bit more enlightening and a little bit, uh, more, uh, uplifting and, uh. Did you did you uh, catch the article about uh, the beverage industry and hospitality programs trying to create um, employment opportunities for um, convicts? I did, I did, I did. I think that's um, it's good stuff. But that, the uh, you know the article talks about what Frescobaldi. Yeah, Lambert, Lamberto uh, Frescobaldi um, from uh, from. Uh, Frescobalti Toscana Empire, but they have what a prison island where they have a vineyard, right? I think we've talked about this before, 
Gore, what is it? Gore Gona, Gorgona. Is that how you say that? Gorgona. Gorgona. Yeah, Gorgona. Yeah. Um, and they've, you can apply to be part of this program. I think I'm not sure exactly if they talk about how you get into it, but, um, they take, um, they take prisoners and they make wine. Um, and unlike a lot of prison stuff in, in, in the world, they actually get paid, they get paid the same amount of money that they would get paid if they were employed by the, um, uh, by the winery, uh, outside of prison, which was, which I found interesting was like, um, two, 12 an hour. Uh, and I don't know if that's U S dollars or if it's, uh, it's gotta be U S dollars. And then they also talk about a couple other, um, Nonprofits to do. I assume they're nonprofits. So, like Ham Foods in San Francisco, Edwin's in Cleveland, and Beyond Bars in Cape Town, South Africa. The Edwin's from Cleveland. The people that go into their program, they have a one percent revisit. Uh, 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 I can never say that word right. Revisited them. Reset it. Uh, no, that's not correct. No, I know it's not. Um, <laughs> but you can you can tell me. It's uh, recidivism. Thank you. Oh, that's a tongue twister, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you that. Thank you. Some days I can say it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I thought it was really uh, – the... it's good to hear success from these programs, from that kind of stuff. Just my opinion. And there are people who don't – they have no path to figure any of this stuff out when they grow up. Nobody's showing them or telling them, like, you know – Hey, get a job. Well, I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, people might think that's crazy, but it's, you know, that actually, you know, some people just, you need to be shown a path or a model. Well, and there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of, uh, uh, I had a loss of words, but I mean, if, if you have some type of serious uh, conviction, on your record and you disclose that when you're doing, um, you know, you're filling out your applications or during an interview or whatever, you know, your chances of landing a job are significantly less than they would be if, uh, if you didn't have that. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely going to be some, um, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's a, it's a harder road to, to, to travel down. That's for sure. This, this, um, this village is, it's an Island, right? And it's, it's, yeah. It's a long ways off of the off of the coast. I mean, it's off the Tuscan coast. It's about twenty five miles, I guess, out in the Tyrrhenian Sea. So these guys, these these prisoners are out here. They're out, you know. They've kind of been somewhere else, I believe, and they've had some good behavior. So they're saying, "Hey, we're going to send you out to the you know the country club." So they get to go out here and uh, they work the vineyards, like you said, and they get paid, or they can do other things. They can. Um, uh, work with animals or they can do other crops because uh, it's not a really big vineyard. I think it's only maybe like two and a half acres. It's not a, a huge uh, big vineyard. But uh, they pretty much have free roam of this island. And then they just go back to the facility in the evening, which is, you know, I mean, it's kind of almost like us. And it's like, what are you going to do? Hop in the water and swim off? You know, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> so that's, that part is uh, is pretty cool. Um Gorgona, I'm trying to think. Wasn't that wasn't wasn't this the island that Medusa was on in uh, Greek mythology? Wasn't she on this island? Oh, I don't know. She's the she she had the snakes in her hair, remember? And 
if you looked at her, you you know, you turn the stone. So they have these sailors that go by and they'd be looking at, you know, yeah, it, it has nothing to do with anything, but I was just thinking. No, I have no idea, but you could be completely correct. Um, my sons would know. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> exactly. I think but this my... is a, this is a, this is a pretty cool thing. Um, so the, so the, uh, the Lacham uh, foods in San Francisco, did you, did Lacham. you check them out? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. They do kosher, uh, kosher uh, catering. Catering, yep. yep. Yeah, so anyway, I think this is great. So um, this wine, by the way, this uh, Gorgona wine, it's a mix of um, the white is, um, it's Vermentino and, um, God, what is the other grape? I believe it's uh, Asonica. I believe. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, it's... it's not cheap. You can find it here in the U.S., but it's like 150 bucks a bottle. bottle. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I, you know, obviously it doesn't cost that to produce it, but I think uh, Lamberto's trying to make a, a point here. He is. He, he says that. Yeah. So, so he that's, says that in that's the article. Kind of it's like I want people to think about think about what they're drinking, um, and leave it to the you know leave it to the Italians to figure out a way to make a premium luxury product from prisoners. And, yeah. the, and and well, it gets better. And the prisoners living on their own private island. Yeah, and uh, I mean, when, like, what? and when they're done, he hires them on. Yeah. at his other places, his other properties. I mean, Frescobaldi's are that's a that's a big operation. They got they got properties everywhere. Yeah, they do. They so do. I, I didn't go and look um, and check out check out the properties, but I'm a big uh, fret. I one of my favorite wines that they that they make is uh, that Castello uh, Nipozano, which is uh, up in um, it's up in uh, Rufina. So it's a really great uh, Chianti that they make. I almost have that all the time. But they've got um, uh, a winemaking venture in Montecino. Um, Gosh, where else are they? They're in a lot of places, man. Um, I think they have a, a facility. Um, they have another facility in um, Tuscany, and I believe they have a facility in um, in Sicily. Huh. So they're, they're, they kind of they get around. Yeah. He's got his hands in a, a couple things. I might I might be wrong on the Sicily, but I know that he's, they have uh, four or five different properties. So it's a big, uh, it's a big company, big family-owned company. Uh, hey, I just sent you that photo of, where do we go from here? Yeah, of uh, VJ, yes, of our of our favorite, uh, I don't know, high I, flyer. Who's I just wanted bit. you to see that. I don't. I know you, you don't call that a boat. That is a yacht. That is a yacht. And if Look at the comparison to the other yachts. I know if, you, if, if you heard me laughing, I saw the picture just started laughing. It's huge. How many people like you a, need to keep something like that no, running? At least I, there's at least twenty people. At least then that's got to be a skeleton crew. Oh, I mean, it looks like a small cruise ship. Yeah, it's pretty. It's, uh, it's big. The it's Indian Empress, but it got but it got it, it got sold in 2018 for non-payment of wages to staff. <laughs> That's one Oops. thing you do like about the Europeans. It's like, you know what? You're in trouble with the ruling elite. You're going to really pay. We're going to give the, your money back to everybody. <laughs> We're just yeah. going to start selling off your toys. Yeah. Pretty. Yeah, that was pretty funny. 
Yeah, he's uh, they're now now they're just this guy's gonna it's death by a thousand cuts with that guy. That's the story there. He's just it's just one hack at a time. I think he's gonna be okay, man. Oh, he, he's gonna go back. He'll they'll slap his hands and let him go. He's, he's gonna be all right. Yeah. He, he so, runs uh, the beer. He runs the beer empire over there. You can't you can't bite that hand. That's like a hand that feeds you. If you're like, <laughs> ruling elite, that's that's not good. Um, well, there was some a, a little bit of sad news that you posted. That I think is good to cover, which is um, Gianfranco Solera died from Montecilino. Yeah. And this guy sounds like he was pretty, uh, pretty famous, legendary, and um, uh, early. Um, some would say early. Some would say this is the way it should always be done. But um, was a really good steward of the land and talked about that. Didn't use any unnatural fertilizers or pesticides. Tried to use uh, natural yeast. Um, I just thought that was interesting. And then is it case basse basse? Is that how you how do you say the the word? Uh Kaze Baze. Kaze Baze. Kaze Baze. Yeah, he's um you know, he's an he was a controversial fella, <laughs> to say the least. But he was, like you said, he was a steward of the land. He did things his way. He'd been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Um, Thirty seven. Call years ago, I wanna say like probably <laughs> That's not twenty thirty seven people. Sorry. 1937, he went to Tuscany. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry, I was talking over there, over you. Go ahead. What were you saying? That's okay, but uh, yeah, he he was um, his winery was uh, back in 2012. Uh, I think he was a hard guy to work for because he had a former employee came in and um, opened up the taps on a bunch of his vats. Yeah, and, and he lost. About five vintages of wine. Remember that? Yeah. That's that was so. I did the math on that while we were uh, um, prepping this morning. It was like that's like seven thousand some odd cases. That was at sixty two thousand liters. Yeah, and you figure at a hundred dollars or hundred twenty five dollars a bottle or whatever his stuff. I mean, it's expensive wine. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, you know, just to show you how difficult this guy could be to work with, the consortium, uh, the Consorzio uh, del Brunello di Montalcino, which is, a, you know, a, everyone, it's a group of fellow Brunello makers. Like a they offered to sell some of their product to him so that at least he'd have something to sell. Right. I mean, it's like it's we're going back to the guy, the, 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 the brush fire. Yep. I mean. He's not hurt now, but the repercussions of not having a vintage is going to be, it's going to be pretty tough. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's going to really affect the bottom line. So um, he was really grateful that the consortium um, was uh, lining up to help him uh, put together some wine to sell. He was so grateful that he quit the consortium. <laughs> he said, you know, I'm not going to be doing that, you know, because it, it wouldn't be fair to my customers because yeah. it's not the wine that I made, you know. So, I mean, it'd be like, uh, you know, I, I, I would be uh, putting out fake wine. And not only did he say he wasn't going to he just said, I'm not going to do it. And he quit the consortium and then he, he went outside of the consortium to make his own wine. He continued making Brunello, but now it's, it's been labeled as IGP because he's not a member of the consortium anymore. Yeah. So... 
Um, there's a couple of things. There's one an interesting thing they mentioned in this article. They said that instead of resting the bottles on the side, he <laughs> insists on standing them Stand upright. Up. So, uh, and you know, he's, he's, he's known for only going uh, to restaurants that had, uh, you know, he would go to restaurants, he'd take his own glasses. glasses. Yeah. And he would only drink his own wine or in a wine of like two or three other producers only. So you think this guy would be hard to work for? You think? Maybe. Maybe. Well, there's going to be one way to do things. Yeah, my way. Yeah, yeah his way. Yeah, and I, I don't think you um, – I've talked to other uh, wine writers, and one of the things is you could go up there, but you had to kind of kiss his feet a little bit, you know, that type of thing. He wasn't, you know, you're not going to go up there and – you just want to know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's pretty funny. So, yeah. but yeah, he died at 82. I mean, he went out good, man. He's driving around his vineyards. He had a heart attack. <laughs> I so. thought I thought the exact same thing. I mean, he died on his way to doing what he loved. He was yeah, so. doing, he was working. So, that's great. Well, I mean, great. And, you know, the heart attacks, you know, it's quick. It's over. Little pain. Boom, yeah, it's gone. quick, man. You're done. Boom, and then light comes. It's, you know, so they say. Yeah, I'm looking I'm looking forward to, you know, uh, you know, when that happens to me, man. I Except I'd probably I'd rather be driving just like me sleeping. Just go to sleep and not yep, wake up. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> there we go. Yes. All right. On that note, <laughs> let's let's transition to some um, zest for life here. So we uh, you, we, we posted an article. We'll post an article. It's uh, the Wine Road, which is a marketing group in Sonoma County here for the wineries, is uh, – it's barrel tasting weekend. I think it's the first two weekends in March. So that is correct. You um, and it is known as it is always known as a um, you know it's sort of like, it's like a kickoff party to summer almost. Like the festival season starts and winemaking is going to start kicking off. I don't know if they've had bud break yet or any of that. I doubt it, given nope. how cold it's been. Um, but anyway, it's also a really good way to. Um, I, I would say if you come to Barrel Tasting Weekend, you're getting a little inside baseball around wine and wine and winemaking. So this is, you know, the wine. Um, you get to taste the wine 12 to 18 months before it's barreled. i sorry, bottled. So you kind of taste what it, you know, an early version of what the wine's going to be. And you can, I'm pretty sure you can buy some of it on discount, if that's if I'm not mistaken. So you can buy futures. So you can kind of participate in all of this wine culture. It's quite an interesting event. And the, the wineries go all out. Uh, there are wineries you can go to that have, you know, there's bands there. It's like a big party. There are also wineries that don't um, accept more than eight people so at a time. So you kind of have to plan your route. The uh, article we post is from um, uh, from Sonoma News West, uh, basically the Santa Rosa Press Democrats. So they've got some recommendations on where to go. But uh, what I would say is like any of these things where you have a lot, my, my personal opinion is you have a lot of choices. Um, if you don't know, if there are wineries you haven't tried but want to, that's a good, a good thing to do. I would also say pick a route. I would also say probably do no more than four wineries during a day. Um, if you do five or six, your palate's probably going to be blown and or it's just going to, you're going to be exhausted and it's not going to be fun. Um, I typically find three is the right number for people that I bring, the, you know, people that come to visit here and we go out tasting. You can get one or two more in with these sort of mass tastings. 
Um, and the PD's got some good recommendations. You know, their their recommendations are all. I've had three of the five, I think, recommendations. I don't disagree with anything that they wrote here. What do you have to say? Sorry, I'm dominating the the conversation here. Well, um, uh, I'd like to say, uh, first of all, if you're going to do something like this, uh, have a uh, hearty breakfast as number one thing that you do. Yeah, um, that's true. You know, have a, have a good sized breakfast because um, what happens when <laughs> you, you need go some to ballast. Is, <laughs> yeah, you, what what you notice is when you go is that the wineries are they're really trying to capture. I mean, this is a big deal for wineries, so they want to show you some of their best stuff. And some of their future stuff that's coming up, you're going to have an opportunity to uh, try and buy things that are very limited and just aren't made uh, for the you know to go out in the retail circuit. So what's going to happen is you go to a winery, you're going to you're going to you may taste more than you normally would when you go to a winery because you're going to be trying different things. So you definitely want to have a good hearty breakfast on you. Uh, pack a good lunch because. In my experience with these, there's not. This is not like a food and wine pairing thing. No, it's just it's, it's a wine thing. There's no, there's not a whole bunch of food. So, and you're going to be traveling around. It's going to be a little less productive if you got to stop somewhere and have lunch. So just pack a nice lunch basket with some things to eat, and then as you're traveling between the wineries, you can munch on stuff. Yeah, I also want to make a point about that too. Most of the places that you're going to go where these wineries are, if you come to this, that you have a very limited ability to buy stuff when you're out on the road out there. You're out in the country, yeah. so there are grocery stores and stuff, but it's going to add a, it's going to add a lot of time. It's going to add more time that you want to spend uh, versus just having it with you. And in the towns that you're going to stay in, probably where you're going to um, spend the night, if you're visiting, there are gourmet grocery stores that specialize in putting together you know, picnic lunch baskets for these types of events and they're worth it. So you could find cheese and different types of charcuterie that you're not going to get. Um, you may not be able to get where you're from um, and a lot of it local. So that's part of the fun. Plus there's fantastic bakeries everywhere. So you can have a really pretty awesome picnic. And as Al said, it saves a massive amount of time and you're going to enjoy it more because you're not hungry or looking for food. And uh, you're going to want something to eat after you, you know, you have wine, um, you know, a couple of times. And a, another point that I like to make is uh, these are this is an opportunity to taste futures and, and futures are, you know, this is something that the, the Europeans started uh, years ago. It started in Bordeaux. They had such a hot market for their wines. They said, hell, we'll just sell our wines. I'm well, selling them before it's them. even bottled. <laughs> so what's important to remember about that is if you purchase a wine, you're not going to see that wine for a year or a year and a half. So you're going to pay for it now and you're not, you know, it's going to be a while before you get it. Yeah. And another thing that's important to remember about this is the wine is going to taste different than the wine that you're tasting now for several reasons. The first of the wine is going to be a little bit older. And the wines are gonna have it have it will have gone through some aging and filtering and blah you know it's it's gonna be more refined. It, it could be better, it could be worse. The point is, it's not gonna taste exactly the same as when you were there on the wine rose tasting. It's gonna be a different bottle, but this does give you a window into what the wine would be like. 
So bear that in mind when you're when you're out there doing that. Yeah, it's and a you'll great ta- event. You'll taste it when you taste these futures. It's it 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 will taste if you've never tasted one before. It will taste quite different. Um, it's similar. It's somewhat similar in beer tasting. If you've ever um, had what they call the wort, which is basically the beer before it it begins its fermentation. Um, mm-hmm. You know it it you know it's not carbonated yet. You can still kind of taste the beer. And, you know, you can taste kind of, you know, you can start to imagine what it's going to taste like. It's the same thing with the wine and these futures. You know, the process hasn't completed yet. It's, it's you know, the process of production. And then it's got to get bottled. And all of those things will add, um, uh, you know, they're all processes they go through that add different, that make the wine change. Um so it will taste different, but it, it's really, it's actually really fun to go buy a future, taste it, and then have it show up 12 to 18 months later, and you'll put all of that together. Um, you know, especially if it's like, wow, I really like the way that thing tastes coming out of this barrel right now. Sure. It, it might be a good wine. And often you can get it cheaper, which is fun too. Well, I'm looking at the list of particular participating wineries bill yeah and uh i mean there's some good ones on here man yeah there's some really good ones ones that i would recommend people go to i definitely would go to bonovia bonovia is right in russian river valley you know just outside of santa rosa uh carol shelton wines makes uh her wines are just fabulous i like everything she makes yep um if you're a zanthan don't miss it (laughs) yeah no, seriously, got, uh, it's amazing. They, they got, they've got everybody on here, even like some of the original. Fopiano's on here. They're they're even doing wines. I've never even been there, but, you know, they make a great Syrah. Um, so it's uh, it's it's a great event if you like the, the wines that are made in uh, Russian River uh, Valley. Hook and Ladder's on here. Hook and Ladder makes a great um, – they just got a, a double gold uh, harvest medal. I mean, I'm not a big medal guy, points guy. But I've had this wine. They make a fantastic Merlot, <laughs> which is out on the market right now. And actually, I'm trying to scheme and to try to get some more of it. And that's not too far from where I live. I can be there in 15 minutes and pick up some. Yeah. Uh, who else is on here that's really interesting? Um, uh, Motion Vineyards is on here. They make a really nice Pinot Noir. Uh, all these are all great places to go to, yeah, man. Pedroncelli. Not- you know, we've been to Pedroncelli. We love that place. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rock Powell Vineyards. If you're, <laughs> that's, if, you're into, if you're into Zinfandel, that's a great place to go. It's in any. Uh, it's really you know. So the Rock the Rock Pile Appalachian, if you will, is still part of Sonoma County, and it produces such different wine based on its climate, based on its terroir. So anytime you can find some Rock Pile, you know Rock Pile, you know, Zin or cabernet or even pinot it's uh you'll find you'll find a difference i think yeah it's um, up there yeah no. the press demo recommended longboard uh mazoko boletto Benovia, and petrocelli i have had um most of everything on this list if not all of, yeah i've had all of it you can't go wrong with any of those that they listed either especially for what they wrote about um so they wrote about, you know, Longboards Merlot, um, Mazzocco Zin, Paletto Shard, um, Benovia Shard, and uh, Petrocelli Cab. 
That's yeah, those are all good choices. Love that Chardonnay at Boleto. That's one that people don't really recognize and really think about, but they do a great job with the yeah. Chardonnay there. Yeah, I, I, and you know, they say notes of green apple. It, that's it's immediately what comes to mind when I think of that. Of when I think of Boleto, yeah. for many reasons. So uh, I think that's uh, right on. Um, I also think Mazzocco is. Um, uh, both Petrocelli and Mazzocco, I think, and I don't know about Bonovia, can handle big crowds. Um, Longboard's Vineyard's tasting room is in uh, is in um, is in Healdsburg. It's in town. Um, but Petrocelli's got bocce courts. It's one of the oldest wineries, right? It was one of the oldest producing wineries in California. It's on the historical register. So anyway, you can have a. Um, I just like these. These events were very uh, useful to me when I first was getting into wine, and I started to understand um, uh, terroir and about the difference, different producers and different vineyards. It was a great way to get educated, and it was a really inexpensive way to try a bunch of different wine. Um, it was it made a lot of stuff accessible. Yeah, and they always have when you go to these wine tasting groups. Um, they always have something off the radar that's in the back. So if you behave, uh, a lot of times you'll get to taste something that's really, really, really unique and yeah. it's not typically poured in the tasting room. Yeah, There's a tip for you. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So, yeah, and, uh, as, as a Sonoma County resident, please come up here and spend money and stay and visit our wineries. They are awesome. You will have a fantastic time. Buy your tickets in advance. They're fifty bucks um, uh, in advance. I think sixty day of the fifty bucks for one day. I think it's ninety bucks for both days, and it's it's uh, ten dollars or twenty dollars more day of. So you can buy online and and be set. Besides, buy online and make a plan, and you'll have a really good, really really good experience. That's our tip. Yep, a good um, tip. What you been drinking? Um, you know, most of the usual. I don't really have anything to report new, except I did last week get some Pliny the Younger. Um, I'll have to say it was delicious as I remember it. That's a triple hop IPA that's made once a year by Russian River Brewing. Um, the the they have the the I heard from multiple people who made the track um, that. You know, definitely having both of their locations open helped with the crowds, which I think just more people get to try it then. You know, Love we, that. I yeah. went a week ago Friday. I think I waited at, at most 15 minutes to get in. And then it wasn't, you know, there were less people in there during that thing than there were a normal Friday. So, you know, it was it was uh, very civilized. But that beer is an, it's just an amazing beer. It does not taste in any way, shape, or form. Um, what you would think a triple hop or sorry a triple IPA is gonna taste like especially at 10.1% alcohol um, really 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 good uh, really good beer so that's you know my, my tip is you know come if you're a beer person and you can make the track you can't go wrong coming to Santa Rosa especially during this time of year because you can get to try not only um, Pliny, but other, you know, it's it, February is beer week, so there's a lot of events there. Other breweries have um, 
you know, specialized beer that they put out during this time. Um, Hen House, which is another brewery here, puts out a thing called Big Chicken, which is another, I think, another triple or double IPA. I can't remember. But I I, I, I haven't had that. Big Chicken this year. I might go today and have some Big Chicken. Um, oh. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be out today, too. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll... Uh a big chicken myself yeah and uh big chicken there's also a uh um a wood-fired pizza truck that sits in front of there on on the weekends it's really good called red horse pizza um really good yeah there's no need to go in there if that pizza truck's not there yeah it's, i mean it's, no it's there i think they're there every weekend it's defeating um, the purpose yeah yeah <laughs> and then the other the only other thing i'm on the i, I want to try sort of not wine or beer related but food related there's somebody that's actually making pretzels and selling them at the brewery they at moonlight you no no on thursdays they have this pedal pop-up pretzel thing it's called wood okay. pedal pretzels so they make these homemade pretzels that's fabulous yeah, pretzels and beer what's wrong with that yeah that, not that. Uh, the, the the chewiness of the pretzel and the salt big yeah. old salt lick but um yeah, that's um, uh, that's all I have to report. I I got to get on the game and get the the um, Pinot tasting, the Oregon Pinot tasting done. It's hard to fit it all in, man. Mr. I Wagner's know. Pinot. I posted a picture um, on Twitter um, oh, last week, I think. Let's see if I can dig it up. And it's uh, I'm going to start doing this regularly. It's just some of the wines that come into uh, the house of Al. And uh, let's see if I can dig this up real quick. Um, yeah, there it is. Okay. Um, so it's a lineup of uh, just a few things that I picked up when I went out. Yep. What you got there? And, uh, oh, boy. It's, anything uh, I anything picked up, noteworthy? I picked up some pretty cool stuff here. Let's see. I lost my... Um, I just lost my uh, – there it is. I picked up um, – we talked about this last week. I picked up some more of the Flacco. Yep. Got some more of the dude. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> I picked up a couple of um, – I picked up uh, some uh, some Toraldigo. I don't know if you're familiar with Toraldigo. No. Toraldigo uh, That sounds grown... like some kind of drug from a pharma <laughs> <Yes>. company. <laughs> Take a Teraldigo, like you'll be good to go. Disease. Yeah, he got the Teraldigo, man. <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff. Feeling good. <laughs> so, uh, it's a variety that's grown up in uh, northeast Italy. Um, um, the artisan in this case is uh, Elisabetta uh, um, Foradori. And um, I'm looking forward to trying that. I've always liked her wines. So, um, I picked up some uh, Termes, which I'll talk about in a moment here. Yeah. So and this uh, this vineyard or this varietal of grape is it similar to some grape other you know that I might know? Not really. Toralda goes uh, all in its own. Huh. I'll tell you, it's uh, yeah, it's it's grown in some pretty um, volcanic. Uh, I was like, is it grown in rocks? Floor. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, you see a lot of Toralda go on the east coast. You don't see it out there very often. Um, I also picked up some Banyuls, which is um, um, a uh, dessert wine from uh, southern uh, southern France. 
And uh, the that, wine that, that I want to start that, talking about that I yeah. picked up, I picked up this wine. You see yeah. this bottle here? Yeah, Artisan, yeah. Art, yeah, Artisan, I guess is how you'd say it. Uh, it's a local <laughs> product. You see this everywhere. And it's interesting. I've never tried it until this year. But uh, you can get this at Costco. Yeah, I'm like, I've seen that bottle before. Yeah. And it's made by... Is um, it Zen? Excuse me? It's Zinfandel, yeah. yeah. okay. This is... Uh, it's, uh, I assume old, so, but I... It's Old Vine uh, Mendocino Zinfandel. Uh, There's a couple things I'd like to point out. From where in Mendo? Is, what's that? Where in Mendocino? Yeah, yeah. It's well, it's Mendocino. The grapes are actually... Um, from, since it says Mendocino, the grapes are actually from all over Mendocino County, but they're predominantly from that Redwood Valley. You know, just the, all of the, the vineyards are right along the freeway as you go up uh, 101 North. Um, this this is um, this wine is actually um, made by Hess Collection Winery. So now, if you look on the back, because it, it's got a you know you look at it and you go oh that's that's really cool. But if you look on the back, there's there's a lot of clues in this label when you look at it. So one of the first things is um, well, I guess first we should talk about the history of of Hess Collection Winery. So Hess Collection Winery um, was started back in the Oh my gosh! I want to say back in the nineties. Yeah, and yeah. it was started by Donald Hess. He's a Swiss banker. Here we go with these Swiss bankers again. <laughs> but he's a philanthropist later on in his life, and he purchased making wine. Oh, yeah, <laughs> well, he started a winery, and you're a philanthropist. <laughs> you are giving a lot of money away when you do that. Sorry, it's cheap. Trip. Yeah, you are. You are. Yeah, yeah. So he bought the old Christian Brothers Winery, yeah, which is out. Right. It's um, it's up in Mount Veter, the hills of Mount Veter, um, uh, on the western side of um, Napa. And uh, the Christian Brothers Winery, they used to make um, uh, Mont LaSalle. I don't know if you remember that brand, no, but it I was don't, uh, I don't remember it. It was a Sacramento wine, uh, way back in the day. Now it's owned by. Some other con- it's probably owned by Hublin or some other conglomerate or something, but anyway, holy water. Yeah, the the winery actually, um, it's you know it's kind of out way out in the hills and it's kind of out of the way. They needed to make more wine, so Christian Brothers also owned um, the winery that's just directly north of Saint Helena, Greystone, where the the culinary CIA, yeah CIAs are culinary. Yeah. So that was the old Christian Brothers winery before, you know, after an earthquake, it was, you know, they kind of abandoned it and made their wines elsewhere. Anyway, Donald bought this winery and he's an art collector. So when you go out to this property, you can taste the wines there, but he's collected art from all over the world. It's a very, very cool place to go to, to do a wine tasting because you can walk around and you can see all of this cool art that he has. So, um, and it's a big property. It's like 600 acres. It's, it's a huge property. Is that a Mount? It's on the west side of Mount Veter? It's kind of, uh, how do you get the hill. It, It's in the hills. It's, There's not you, much out there. Where do you if go, you over go out? If you go out, um, 29, uh, oh. you'll run into it. Uh, um, okay. like from off of 29, you run into it in a couple miles. Okay. And it's, I'm in the road. <laughs> you basically there. make a left and go into the hills. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you go until you find the winery. Yeah, okay. So um, I wanted to point out a couple of things to our listeners. 
it says on the label, it says vented and bottled by. Now, that's an interesting note. Because, I mean, what exactly does that mean? But this, it's a, it's a highly regulated note. And basically what vented and bottled by means is that the wine was made by the Hess Collection Winery, but it wasn't made in this area of Mendocino. So what they did was for this particular wine, they went up Redwood Valley all around, they picked up the grapes and they shipped these grapes to American Canyon where they have a huge factory, a wine factory. And that's where they make this wine. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that in a pejorative way. This is an excellent bottle of wine. It's a really good bottle of wine. It just happens to be made at a wine factory. There's a couple other things that are on the label that give it the appearance of being artisan and, you know, just like just a little guy out there making wine, you know, but it's really not. It says family farmed. Yeah. It is family farm, yeah. but it's farmed by a big corporation, a big family with a lot of wineries, and it says sustainably grown. Yep. You know, which is like I'm always leery when I see sustainably grown because it really doesn't have any legal definition. It just means that uh, they're making some uh, concessions with trying to care about the air. Maybe they're, I don't know, maybe they're tuning up their tractor more frequently. Um, you know, they're worried about the amount of water. Maybe they're not watering the ground. I mean, it's, it's highly nebulous. And then there's another term on here. It says old vine. What does that mean? You see that on all kinds of stuff. You see that, especially on French wines. You see vie vigne, old vines. Well, it really has no real meaning. So this label is littered with things that don't mean much of anything. The only thing on this label that means anything to me, really, is it's Zinfandel. And at the bottom right, it says Randall Johnson. That guy is a wine wizard. He knows how to make wine. So I saw that. That's enough for me to want to buy the wine right there. But these other things don't mean much. So um, this, this wine comes from Redwood Valley, Mendocino County. Old vine is, um, I mean, it's, it's it could be anything. It could, you could put old vine your vines could be like 10 years old, I guess. You could probably put old vine on there legally because it doesn't hold any definition. But these probably are old vines because if you drive up, if you're in Ukiah, there's a lot of old Zinfandel vineyards there. I mean, really old ones. And just by default, um, you know, they've got a – they probably are truly old vines. Uh, well, you can go on their site and they have all of their – they have, I don't know if they're all of them, but they have a number of their farmers, uh, um, many of whom you've seen and know. Okay. <laughs> Paul Dolan, Michael Collins, Okay. Charlie gotcha. Sawyer, um, the Venturis. It's like who's who of like Mendo winemaking. Right on, right on. So the wine, uh, I know if I had to say, would I buy this again? I definitely would. It costs, uh, it's, it's, it's like 16 bucks. I'm How much? Probably like a little bit less. I didn't buy it at Costco, but it's a little less at Costco, I would imagine. Did you say 16? Um, it's, what's that? One six, 16? Yeah, 16. Okay. Yeah. It's got to be a great bottle of wine for that money. Yeah, it's deep purple in color. Um, it's got uh, a, a red fruit nose, raspberry, cherries, uh, a little white pepper. On the palate, it's classic Zen. Um, 
you get all the classic Zen notes and flavors, but you don't get that over the top jamminess that you and, and all, all that alcohol that you can get with like, you know, um, a lot of efforts that you see as far as Zinfandel goes. Yep. Uh, it's medium bodied. It's well balanced. It's got a really nice uh, touch of uh, baking spice on the back end. Um, but it's, uh, with a medium leak finish and it's, it's nice and clean. It's 84% Zinfandel, 14% Petit Syrah and 2% Carignan. And it's aged 100% in, um, French oak, which is unusual for Zinfandel. Usually Zinfandel, um, doesn't go in French oak. Um, it'll go in a combination of French and American oak. So it's good. It's a good one. Uh, it's definitely, uh, you should buy a bottle or two and try it if you're a Zinfandel fan. Um, it's, a. uh, uh a very good um, example of uh, Zinfandel from Mendocino. Yeah, sounds like it's time to buy some meat and put it on the grill and have some Zen. Yeah, yes. Yes, indeed. Some, yes. Now, my next bottle is, uh, can you see that, Bill? It's uh, Numantia. Yeah. Huh. It's Termez. I've known this wine for a long time. Um, this wine is, um, it's a hammer. And what I mean by that, it's definitely not ready to drink. <laughs> it's uh, just lay it down, kind of. I mean, it's it's dark, and uh, uh, it's dark and dangerous, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's one hundred percent Tempranillo. And if you remember last week's podcast, we were talking about Tempranillo. We're talking about Deflaco. Yep. This is the exact opposite. This is the dark brother. And uh, this just shows you how Tempranillo is is such a – it has so many different expressions. Such a versatile grape, yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's got um, – it's, it's – it's, as I mentioned, it's very dense. Um, the tannins are um, – man, it's, it's, it's pretty tannic. Um, I don't – it's gotten some great reviews, but it's just not you – know, it's just too much for me. I like, uh, you know, a wine that shows a lot of fruit, and this definitely does, but it's got lots of fruit, it's got lots of tannin, it's got lots of everything, and um, although I will admit that it's a little bit more toned down than uh, efforts that I've seen in the past, this is their entry-level Tempranillo. I uh, believe they make three others above this. Wow. And if you think this wine is something, you should try some of their other ones. I guess. They make $200 bottles of this uh, uh. from this estate. So this estate, um, this bottle was actually, um, it's called um, uh, Tinto de Toro. It's Tempranillo. Um, um, if you look for it, it's Numantia, N-U-M-A-N-T-H-I-A. And the region is uh, Toro de Toro. It's northwest Spain is where it's grown. So um, it's all, these vines are, there's no, uh, it's organically farmed. Um, the, the estate is actually owned by... Um, um, uh, Louis Vuitton Moe Hennessy. So it's all yeah. <laughs> LVHM once again. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they are back in action. So this is one of their luxury wines, um, and uh, this is the, the 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 first step of their um, luxury wine. Very cool. Uh, the next step up, I think, is a wine that's about fifty five, sixty bucks, and then after they got one that's like a couple hundred bucks, and you know, I haven't had um, the. The two hundred dollar one, but I have had the fifty five dollar one. It's pretty awesome. Uh, it's it's just uh, for me. It's it's too over the top for me. It's uh, it's too extracted. Um, it, but it's going to be a great bottle to lay down. So I'm going to purchase some of them, and I think maybe in another 
six or seven years, it'll be right for me to drink. It'll be, you know, it'll be toned down a little bit. But if you want something that just really pops and makes a super big impact for people that are coming over and that's your style, you'll love this wine. Sounds delicious. (laughs) That's all I got, man. All right. Let's let's wrap it up. All right. Um, You can reach us at, uh, on Twitter at twitter.com slash vino101net you can email us at info at vino101net throw a comment on our blog and um, we love to hear from you and thank you for listening oh man we got a PS I got one more oh right on you see that yeah last night was open that bottle night oh so I dipped into the cellar and I got the eyes yes can you see the eyes yeah I can see the eyes hmm I got the eyes. This is um, uh, Melka. Philippe Melka makes this wine. Uh, I had a, uh, the wife and I had this last night, 2007 Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley. There's a reason why the wines in Napa Valley have such a good reputation. The wines from Napa Valley are good. (laughs) (laughs) That, that, yeah, I bet you that was a delicious bottle. They are good. So, yeah, I got a little bit left because uh, um, we didn't drink the whole bottle, but what a fantastic bottle. This is his second label named after his kids, uh, Chloe and Jer- Jeremy. And, uh, nice. Yeah. So on that, yeah, on that note, cheers. <laughs> cheers, everyone. Hi. Right.